And a man had two sons. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. We read this first part of the parable of the prodigal here in Luke chapter 15. For a long time I've wondered as I've read this parable, why doesn't it stop here? After all, the important part is what we learned last week as we examined this part of the parable, that sin is deceptive and disgusting, that we need to repent and we need God's grace. And yet Jesus continued on talking. He went on to tell us some about the prodigal's brother. But recently studying this, I began to realize that in reality, this parable is not about the prodigal. This parable is actually about the prodigal's brother. The story of the prodigal was merely the setup to get us to this point. In fact, what we find is that the story of the prodigal himself was the third step as Jesus was setting up to tell this great story about the father talking to this prodigal's brother. If you look back in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, the text says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Why was Jesus even telling this parable? To convince these Pharisees and these scribes that they shouldn't grumble about Jesus being with sinners. And he began by telling two other stories. He started off there in verse 3, telling them the parable about a man who lost one sheep out of a hundred. And instead of staying with the ninety and nine, he went out and he found the one. And when he got back, what did he do? He called his friends together and they rejoiced. And Jesus said that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And then he told a second story. He told a story about a woman who had ten coins and she lost one of them. And she swept the house and she finally found that one-tenth of of her worth. And what did she do? She called her neighbors and her friends and said, let's rejoice. And they rejoiced. And Jesus said, the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, they could understand this. Sheep and money, that has to do with livelihood. Certainly, 
Certainly, if someone lost a sheep and found it, we would rejoice with them. Certainly, if someone lost some money and found it, we would rejoice with them. But a person? A sinner? We don't want to find lost people. They're sinners. They're despicable. They're awful. We don't even want to seek them, let alone save them. But you see, Jesus was different. That was His entire mission. In Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus drew these Pharisees and these scribes in. And then He told them the story of this prodigal. And now He is turning to the real point behind this entire chapter. To point out to the Pharisees how their perspective differs from the perspective of God to demonstrate the stark contrast with which the Pharisees viewed people, responsibility, service, and blessing. And to demonstrate God's perspective and the perspective that we ought to have. And so I'd like for us to look at this last half of the parable. This parable of the prodigal's brother. And learn God's perspective. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 25. The prodigal has returned. The father has started the celebration. And in verse 25, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, in verse 28. And his father came out and began pleading with him. In verse 29, he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected even a single commandment. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might just celebrate with my friends. This son of yours comes who has devoured your, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, and you kill the fattened calf. He said to him, Son, You've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and has been found. I want you to notice four issues that Jesus demonstrates where the Pharisees had the improper perspective, where this brother had the improper perspective. And let's make sure that we have the proper perspective perspective. First, we want to make sure that we have the proper perspective on our responsibilities. This this prodigal's brother was very quick to point out all the commands that he had faithfully followed all his entire life, and yet here was a command, here was an encouragement, a pleading of the Father right now, and he wasn't willing to obey. You see, he made a mistake. His mistaken perspective was is that here at this time, because of all the work he had done in the past, that he didn't have to submit to this command, to this request. And the Pharisees make the same mistake. Because of the numerous lines that they had drawn, because of the amount of study that they had put in the Word of God, because of the numerous things that they followed and obeyed, they had allowed things to slip beside the wayside. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus pointed this out as He said in Matthew 23 and verse 23, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. They were so convinced that they had done so much that it didn't even bother them that they had neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. No wonder they were so unmerciful regarding these sinners and tax collectors with whom Jesus was meeting because they had neglected that. We've got to make sure that we don't make the same mistake. We need to always remember the commitment that we have made to our Father in Heaven when we submitted to Him in baptism. When we asked Him to wash our sins away. Look in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus said in Luke 9:62, No one, after putting His hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. We've committed ourselves to the Father. We've said we're going to do Your will. We're going to continue on following Your Word. And there never comes a time when we get to say, oh, I'm not going to do this. We don't get to say to the Father, this is too much. How can You expect this of me? I didn't know I was signing up for this. It doesn't matter how many commands we've followed in the past. We've got to continue on with our faithfulness. We've got to continue on doing the will of God wherever it leads. It doesn't matter how old we are, how tired we are, how discouraged we might be, who we are, where we've been, what we've done. We've got to continue on doing the will of God, doing His work. And we don't ever get to say, I'm not going to do this. This is too much. It's not our time to rest yet. Look in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, there's a rest that is coming, but it's not now. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3, the Hebrew writer says, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6 of Hebrews 4, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had, had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, and again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore also let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through the following the same example of disobedience. There's a rest that is waiting for us, but it's not here. It's in heaven. And just like this prodigal made the mistake of thinking that here was a command or an appeal or a request he didn't have to follow because of all the things he'd already done, just like the Pharisees made this mistake, we've got to make sure that we don't make this mistake. We've got to have the proper perspective on our responsibility. And our responsibility right now, tomorrow, the day after, as long as we're here on this earth, is we're going to do whatever God says, wherever it leads us. And this parable demonstrates that God's will leads us to want sinners to repent 
no matter how vile they've been, even if they've sinned against us, our responsibility is to want them to repent, to help them repent, and accept them when they do repent and rejoice over it. That's what God has asked of us. That's our responsibility. And we do not get to say, this is too much. We've got to do it. That's God's will for our lives. The second issue is we've got to have the proper perspective on our service. This prodigal son, or the prodigal's brother, rather, made the mistake and neglected to realize that just like his younger brother, he had received grace from the Father. Notice what the Father says. You've been with me all this time, and all that is mine is yours. Whose was it? It was the Father's. This prodigal's brother had the mistaken perspective that because he had been there and worked so hard for so long that he had an entitlement to what was his father's. But he doesn't. It was his father's. And if he was going to receive it, it was going to be because his father, by his grace, his mercy, his love, and his kindness, bestowed it upon him. He had a sense of entitlement. I should get the celebration, not him. How dare you celebrate him? And the Pharisees make this very same mistake. They were so convinced that because of their great service at all times throughout their lives, that they were somehow better than all these tax collectors and these sinners. And that somehow they were entitled to Jesus being with them, to rewards, to blessings, to anything that God might offer. Look in Luke chapter 18, verse 11 and 12 to see this playing out. This is another story. The parable of the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, standing there praying thus to himself, said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. He says to the Father, I thank you, but in his voice you can hear he's actually saying, you ought to thank me. Look at how good I am. I'm entitled. I'm awesome. Not like them. I'm better. He neglects to realize how much he needs God's grace. We must not make this same mistake. Have you been serving God for a long time? That's great. That is so good. I'm, I'm glad for that. Keep it up. But please do not believe that somehow you have offered some service to God that entitles you to anything. We may have a hard time understanding this ourselves today because even in our generation we have the idea that as children of our parents we are entitled to everything that is theirs. They start spending our inheritance and we get mad at them like it's not their stuff. They decide to give it to someone else and we get upset as though they don't have the right to do with it what they want. But if we receive an inheritance, it's not because we're entitled to it, it's because our parents are gracious. And that's the same thing 
with our heavenly inheritance. Maybe we have been as far as a spectrum of good and bad. Not done as many sins as somebody else. But if we're going to receive an inheritance and a blessing, guess where it's going to come from? God's mercy and God's grace. We are not entitled to anything. And our years of service do not entitle us to anything that God might give us. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 25, Paul points out on Mars Hill. Let's begin at verse 24. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Our years of service, God has graciously allowed us to be part of His plan, but our service has not rendered anything to Him that He needed from us. He doesn't need anything from us. Rather, we need His grace, and that's the thing that we've got to remember. We've got to have the proper perspective on our service. We ought to do it because it's what God deserves, but we are not entitled to anything, no matter how many years we have served God. It's by His grace and His mercy that we have anything. We've got to have the proper perspective on our responsibilities, on our service, and on our relationships. If you look there in Luke chapter 15, you'll notice that this older brother, as he looks at this young man who's come back to the house, All he can see is a man who has devoured his father's wealth with profligate living. Wild and loose living with prostitutes. That's all he can see. But the father saw something different. The father saw a son. He saw a brother who had become lost and dead, who was now found and alive. And when he looks at this older son, you'll notice what he points out to him. Verse 32 of Luke 15, we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and is now alive, was lost and is now found. This brother of yours. This isn't just some nameless sinner out there. This is your brother. We had to rejoice. Our closest kin was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. How could I do anything but rejoice? But the older son didn't see that aspect of it. And the Pharisees didn't see that. When they looked out at these tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was eating with and teaching, they couldn't see brethren in the nation of Israel. They couldn't see people who needed God's grace. All they could see was tax collector, sinner. They couldn't see their brethren who needed God just like they did. Oh, they could certainly see the value of finding a lost sheep. They could certainly see the value of finding a lost coin, but they could not see the value of finding one of God's lost children, one of their brethren. They had a mistaken perspective. And we've got to make sure that we don't have that mistaken perspective. We've got to have the proper perspective. 
Have you ever heard anyone talk about the brotherhood of man? We need to have that concept. Everyone. They're our brother in that sense. We've all got the same ultimate grandparents from Noah on back up to Adam and Eve. You ever thought about that? This is family. And they're lost. And when God looked at them, according to John 3.16, He loved them so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loved them. How much do we love them? What do we see? When we look out at folks, do we just see drunks, liars, thieves, adulterers? Or do we see brethren? Our family that's lost and dying and needs life and finding. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, we see how Jesus viewed the masses and we need to view them as He did. In Matthew 9 and verse 36, it says that Jesus, seeing the people, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. That's what we need to have. And consider this. How much more ought we to have those feelings if we're looking at somebody who is not only part of the brotherhood of man, but is a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ who had fallen into sin and is returning? How much more? We need to have the proper perspective on our relationships with all these people. And finally, we need to have the proper perspective on our blessings. There in Luke chapter 15, this prodigal's brother had some problems, made a couple of mistakes in the realm of blessings. The first mistake we've already alluded to, he neglected to remember that everything that he had was his father's. And that since it was his father's, his father could do whatever he wanted to with it. It was his father's fattened calf. If he wanted to kill it, he could kill it for whatever reason he wanted to do. All those possessions were his. And if he wanted to bestow them on somebody, he was allowed to do that for whatever reason he wanted to do. It was his. The second thing that this prodigal's brother had a problem with is that he neglected to realize how much he had been blessed and how much he was going to be blessed. The father says to him, Son, you've been with me all along, and all that is mine is yours. This is a man who's got servants. We're talking about a wealthy man. He says, I'm, I'm going to bless you with all of this. That sounds pretty blessed to me. Sounds a little disingenuous to be upset because one fattened calf out of all that got taken away and given to someone else. He was missing the blessings that he had received and would receive. Pharisees make this same mistake. They neglect to realize that all of this is God's and He can do what He wants to with it. They had the idea that they were entitled to it. They were righteous. They were holy. And so if anyone was going to receive any attention from the Christ, then it ought to be them 
They were so convinced of that that when Jesus paid attention to all these others, they decided He must not be the Messiah because surely the Messiah would spend His time with us because we're the ones that deserve blessing. They deserve punishment. How dare we celebrate that, that they've returned. We've got to make sure that we don't make the same mistake. First of all, we need to remember that the world and everything in it, according to Psalm 50 and verse 12, belongs to God. And He can do what He pleases with it. Romans chapter 9 and verse 15, Paul recorded where God had said, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. It's His choice. He gets to make it. He gets to do it however He wants. And we can't complain. We have no place to complain for that. He gets to bless whoever He wants to bless. For whatever reason, He wants to bless them. That is His prerogative. But further, we need to recognize that He has blessed us far more than we deserve. That prodigal son was not the only one who had been blessed beyond what he deserved. The prodigal's brother had as well. You look in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at the blessings that God has given us. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Paul writes, Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, excuse me, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Look at these blessings that we have adopted as sons. Redemption, forgiveness, justification, salvation. The mystery revealed to us. Knowledge of what's true. Salvation. Wow, what a blessing. And an inheritance. Not only has He blessed us greatly so far, there is a greater blessing that is even waiting for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. As Peter points out, Jesus came back from the dead so that we could obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, what a blessing. God has blessed us. How can we be upset when He decides to bless somebody else too? There's a parable in Matthew chapter 20. 
In Matthew chapter 20, a landowner went out to the marketplace and found some workers at the beginning of the day. And he put them to work. He said, I'm going to give you a denarius. And then he went out a few hours later and he got some more. He said, put them to work. I'm going to give you a denarius. And then a few hours more. And finally at the 11th hour, went out and some men went out and worked for an hour. And they came back in and the nobleman gave them all a denarius. Now the guys who had been there all day, they were upset about this. That is not fair. Notice what he says though. Chapter 20 and verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? We've got a generous God. And He blesses any and all who will come to Him. And how can we, who have been with Him, saved by His grace, blessed by His generosity, be upset just because He's generous enough to bless others as well? And that's the perspective that we have to have. What a great God we serve. What's your perspective?